What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Thursday, September 15th. Finally, a day that we promised to be back, and we are back on that day. It's it's a it's a monumental day on the First Down Rundown podcast. Today, you already know we're diving into some football topics. This is honestly our first kind of freelance episode in a really long time since honestly since talking about NBA and golf and hockey even you know when when the playoffs were going on which was seems like so long ago but yeah I mean our past really eight to ten episodes have been super structured we had the NCAA doomsday series and then we had those four preseason football episodes that were um, that were more structured than not so this is kind of our first our first crack at it for, our, for this football season in terms of kind of our, our freelance episodes where we kind of just talk about whatever. And so, yeah, we're, we're really glad to be back today. And from, from here on out, like we said last episode, if you didn't tune into last episode and you're wondering why we have an episode posted on a Thursday night and a Monday night in the same week, it's because we're moving our schedule to Monday and Thursdays. It may kind of vary here and there for maybe a Tuesday and a Friday, but it'll kind of be, two weekdays is, you know, at one at the beginning of the week and then more one towards the end of the week is what we're going to shoot for from here on out. So that's that. I just got back from the driving range. My room smells like feet. Matt, how are you? I'm a little bit better than that. I am actually yeah, I'm struggling. ecstatic because for the last six weeks, kind of six weeks, I have not had AC in my apartment. And today, six weeks and one day later, it was oh. reinstalled and we are good to go. So I won't be sweating the entire time that we do the podcast because I can actually well, feel that I there's mean, air. Well, yeah, I will be anyway. Yeah. I mean, we all know that. That just happens regardless. Yeah. Because why wouldn't regardless. you sweat during a podcast? Right. Because you are passionate about the stuff that you're talking about. All right. Regardless, though, my apartment wise, it's going to feel a little bit better in here. So that's what that that's how my immediate environment is going. Unlike Hayden, which is a pretty stark difference, it seems. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's how it's going in my apartment right now. It's I can't it's honestly it's just like filling every every one of my senses. Like I can taste it. I can I can feel the stench of feet, but we're going to we're going to power through it for this episode because we've got we've got four topics here. We've got two NFL topics and two college football topics. Again, it's it feels so good to be able to say that again because I haven't been able to say two NFL topics, two college football topics in a long time. It's it, it more has been. We've got this whole rundown of things to go through today. We've got, you know, we're talking about the money in the NCAA and we're talking about NIL today. Like it's been, it's been a lot of that, but it hasn't been a lot of just general NFL college football top topics. But today is the day that that revives itself and and life is renewed as we should say. So, yeah, I would say, uh, I would say that we should just kind of get right into it here with the NFL. So generally, we kind of just want to go over the more surprising results and the more surprising teams that we saw this past Sunday or this past week in general. And those team, a couple of those teams are kind of, you know, the Bears being the 49ers. Um, we want to talk about the Cowboys future, maybe the Seahawks beating the, the Broncos on Monday night because that game had kind of more implications than just the Seahawks surprising us as being better than we thought they were because it also was Russell Wilson's first game back. Well, it was his first game with the Broncos and he was playing at Seattle. So that was kind of a, you know, I guess ironic in a way, but also kind of 
uh, a cool coincidence to see. And then the Seahawks ended up winning. So we could talk about that a little bit, maybe. And obviously we had games like the Bengals and the, the, the Steelers, which was probably top three craziest games I've ever seen. Definitely the craziest one since the, since the bills and the chiefs game in, in the playoffs last year, that was super crazy. But if that game hadn't happened, this, the, the, the Steelers Bengals game probably would have been the craziest game. I would have said that I've seen in, in years, honestly. So um, there, we can talk about that game as well. And then there was also the Colts and the Texans who tied crazy, uh, crazy ending there. We honestly could have gotten two two games that, that tied in the same week in the same uh, one o'clock frame too, in the, in the same kind of one o'clock window, I guess is, is what they like to call it. We could have gotten two games that tied. Luckily, the, uh, the, the Steelers kicked that field goal right at the end of overtime in the Steelers-Bengals game, but it was looking like that one was going to tie as well, and they both would have been 2020, I guess, which is another crazy coincidence. But, yeah, we only, had, we only ended up having one tie, but those are kind of the games that we want to go over and just kind of talk about and, and give, a, give a little rundown of because, again, it was a really weird week one, especially those 1 o'clock games. That, that was the best – that was the best set of games that I've seen in a long time going on at the same time. So it was a, it was a super interesting week. I want to get Matt's thoughts on it first, just kind of talk about whatever he wants to talk about. And then obviously I'll just jump in here and we're kind of going to be all over the map, but it's uh it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to be able to do that again. So Matt, go ahead. So I'm going to start off with the bears and the 49ers. The 49ers were up 10 to nothing in this game and the bears came back and the bears ended up winning 19 to 10. So they scored 19 unanswered points. And I think all of it was in the second half. It was looking like the 49ers were going to roll and they were expected to, they were favored by seven points in Chicago. It was not, you know, the bears were not supposed to be good. They're not supposed to be good overall, you know, as a team this season, but they showed something. Now, there was also the weather in this game, which was insane. It was, it, there was like a foot of rain on the, on the field, literally like the field was, I think underwater or something. There was just puddles all over. And one of the crazy things about actually, you know, cause they were trying to kick field goals and stuff, which you can't plant your foot and kick a ball when you're, you know, basically in half an ocean in the, uh, in the field, the, the, one of the bears, I guess one of their equipment people or whatever ran onto the field to wipe with a towel to wipe off where the kickers planting or planting foot would be to hopefully give them some traction to kick a, kick a field goal and they got a 15 yard penalty for that i mean what are we doing so like give these guys a chance to score some points right we're in the nfl we want to see want to see our teams score points but i think the big story coming out of this game is that the bears were supposed to be really bad this year they were they're supposed to have the worst offensive line in the league their defense is supposed to be a lot worse than it has been. Obviously, you know, they just keep trading away their players. Justin Fields has looked okay, but if he doesn't have anything around him, receiver, what they trade away their best receiver, one of the best receivers, you know, that they've probably had in recent history, they're just losing pieces. And so you have this one young piece in, in, in Justin Fields who has looked okay at times, but how do you expect him to look great when he doesn't have anybody else that's even remotely close to, you know, uh, uh, what should be considered as a regular starter in the NFL around him. So it kind of just worked out though. And I think that there's a lot of people that are making, you know, big assumptions about this game. You know, the, the 49ers look terrible. Trey Lance looks terrible. The bears somehow look good. I think this is just a combination of a it's week one. Okay. So nobody really knows what they have until you get on the field and you actually hit people. And two, the weather plays a big part in some in a game like this. And and again, it's in Chicago, okay? And 
Chicago is literally the nickname of Chicago is the Windy City. So they are used to dealing with weather, whether it be, you know, like negative five degrees in the middle of January or crazy, you know, 30 mile an hour winds and like a vortex within the stadium or in this case, like a foot of rain uh, and or snow, which also can happen just later in the winter. And so because of that, if you play for Chicago, you're kind of just you're used to it by now you've been through however many seasons and games and whatever and you you see that yes you're going to run into some weather at some points at some point down the road and so I think to some extent they were better prepared to play in these type of adverse weather conditions than the 49ers were who are who play in Santa Clara California and it's always bright sunshine and you know they got a new stadium and it's warm and and fuzzy uh they're not used to playing in this type of weather And, and so that showed through the one thing I will mention, because I think the big talking point obviously coming out of here is the fact that both of these quarterbacks, Trey Lance and Justin Fields, came out of the same draft class. The 49ers traded up to the third pick in, in the, I guess, whatever, 2020 draft or whatever it was. They traded up to the third pick. They basically mortgaged their whole future on Trey Lance to get third Trey Lance third overall. And the Bears also traded up, but they were they traded up to the 11th pick to get Justin Fields. And we've seen kind of both of them play well no now we not let me completely completely retract that statement i don't know why i even started out saying that we haven't seen trey lance play okay we saw justin fields play he played all last year there were some good moments there were some bad moments but that's expected he's a rookie quarterback right on again a bad team so you don't expect him to have amazing success right off the bat uh, but but there were some flashes last year. He was moving the ball with his legs, right? He was running for for touchdowns. He was throwing the ball down the field. He was completing passes. So we kind of saw something there. Trey Lance has not played meaningful football in over four years. The last time that this guy was on a football field playing actual games against actual competition was in the FCS with North Dakota State. Again, basically not even Division One foot college football. Okay, North Dakota State, and he was all right. I mean, you know, he's he's good, but he he didn't play c- competitive college football. All right, then he gets to the league. Okay, he's drafted third overall. He has the size, he has the abilities, and I think that's why uh, Kyle Shanahan drafted him in the first place. Was hey, you know, this is a perfect type of guy who will fit our offense because it's a very run run heavy offense. You know, they use angles with the offensive linemen, the way that they run the ball. It, it it makes sense for a quarterback who has a big arm like Trey Lance, but can also move with his feet. Obviously, we know that Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of neither of those things. And so it makes sense that if this guy is the truth, he may be able to replace Jimmy Garoppolo and really be the guy that the 49ers are looking for. But you can't, you can never underestimate the fact that if you don't play football for so long, you might take a little while to get used to playing football again, especially if your competition goes from Villanova college foot. Yes, Villanova has a college football team. You did, you probably didn't know it, but they play in the FCS. All right. Southeast Missouri State is a good team in the FCS. That's the type of competition that, that Trey Lance was playing against at North Dakota State. Then he goes to the, the literally next snap that he takes is in the NFL. So he's skipping like three levels of competition and is expected to per- perform as a starting quarterback. So I get it. All right. I'm not like, I'm not a huge fan of him. And I don't agree that the 49ers should have even drafted him. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo should be playing right now because he gives them a better chance to win. I see what they're trying to do. And I don't, I sympathize with the guy, Trey Lance, because he hasn't really had a chance. All right. To even do much. And so, you know, maybe this is kind of their season of, or half season or whatever of just saying, Hey, we're going to break him in. We're going to show him how it goes. We're going to let him 
just grow in this offense, get NFL experience, and then hopefully he can improve. But I mean, it just, it didn't look good at the start and there's nothing that we can say definitively right now, but I think that's kind of the overall, you know, point of where I'm coming from is like, you'd want to see a little bit more than this. And I understand the weather was terrible and whatever, but he, Justin Fields looked a lot better than him. And again, Justin Fields has, like, I understand all the arguments against that. Justin Fields has a whole other year of experience within the NFL. He's used to playing in weather conditions like this. Cause he, even when he was at Ohio state, you know, they, they played in, in, you know, Ohio, which is cold and snow and all that stuff too. So, so he's used to this stuff. And so there was a lot of advantages for Justin Fields in that game, but, but, you know, Trey Lance show us something and I don't think he did. And so it's going to be interesting going forward, are the 49ers really going to be this, you know, nine or 10 win team that people are expecting it to be and competing for a playoff spot, you know, with Trey Lance, their quarterback? I don't think so. And, and it's not his fault because he just hasn't played football a lot. If he gets better, great. But I don't see it happening. And it's going to be interesting to see how long they're going to allow it to happen before they start making some changes. Yeah, I, I, I kind of see where you're coming from, but I also do trust in the fact that I mean, NFL scouts, these guys are on a different level. So, like, when they see a guy like Trey Lance in, in college, right, and they, they see him at North Dakota State, they, they know that he's not playing against the best of competition. But when NFL scouts and those guys see that Trey Lance can, right, he can throw the ball like a pro quarterback, he can run the ball like a pro quarterback, he, he obviously has the size, that helps him a lot too. But, like, I, I think that, I, I see where you're coming from, Matt, and that he hasn't seen he hasn't played in a long time on top of only playing plumbers in college, essentially. It I th- I think it's also a product of like, okay, well, he's been at least in practice with the 49ers team and with a pro team for you know going on his second or third year, whatever it is now. I think I what, what I think it was a 2021 draft that they got that they got drafted because I remember doing I remember when AZ and I first were doing this podcast, it was at the big, it was kind of at the beginning of 2021 is when we started doing it. And I remember covering that draft actually, like the, the one where Justin Fields and Trey Lance were, were getting drafted. So I think it was a 2021 because they were rookies last year. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Justin yeah. Fields started as a rookie and that was last year and that was 21, 20 season, 2021 to 2022. So, right. So it was just, I mean, it was just, it wasn't even two years ago that this happened, yeah. but, you know, still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which means that Trey Lance technically has really only had one full year with the 49ers team. But again, I mean, I I think that he's probably more he's definitely more exposed to to pro talent and playing against pro talent by now being with the 49ers team for this long. But yeah, I I think it definitely showed in in that game on Sunday that right. Maybe he isn't maybe he's a little bit timid or maybe a little bit kind of unsure of where he's at in, in terms of playing against NFL starters, which we know is a whole different ball game than even NFL backups. So I think that Trey Lance, is, he's probably going to adapt pretty fast. I, I kind of believe in him. I just don't believe in him this year. I think that's kind of what Matt's trying to get at is like, yes, he could possibly turn into an absolute beast and a very, very good player, a stud, as we like to call it. But right now, I, th- I think even this year, even towards the end of this year, he's still going to struggle with kind of getting used to the whole speed of, a, of, of an NFL football game and adjusting his because we know he has the ability. I, I mean, again, the NFL scouts, they see that. And that's why the 49ers traded up to the third spot to get him is because they, they saw that talent in him. And so he's just going to take a long time to, to develop. And it's kind of different than like I, I think he's almost like a Josh Allen type type deal where Josh Allen 
came into the league and he kind of sucked his first year. Like he was, you know, his whole throwing motion was off. And then he made that change over the off season going into his second year. And then he just absolutely, he went crazy. And so, and then ever since, I mean, he's had like three straight seasons of, of being essentially the, the best fantasy quarterback in, in all of fantasy, if not within the top two or three. So um, yeah. So I, I think that Trey Lance might have a Josh Allen type, start to his career and we'll just have to kind of see from there with Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields has a lot of talent too. He just kind of, yeah, he, he may get kind of a slower start to, to his career just because I, I feel like his physical ability isn't really up to par with Trey Lance as much as Justin Fields is very athletic. I think his, I think his, his physical ability is just not, you know, his, his stature isn't as big as Trey Lance, like his frame isn't as big. And I don't think that he has quite the arm talent that Trey Lance does that we've seen from Trey Lance in college, but yeah, this, I mean, this game was also like Matt said, it was just, you can't really get anything from this game because it was, it was a mud fest. Everybody was slipping and sliding. If you guys haven't seen, there's a, there's kind of a video of Rokon Smith who's, who's mic'd up for the game. And he said that he felt like a little kid. He was like during the game on the sidelines, he was, he was just hooting and hollering and just going crazy about how much he loved playing in, in the rain. Because again, I mean, you, they couldn't do anything except for run. And there was actually a couple of passes that both quarterbacks had that were pretty, pretty exceptional. Like they were pretty impressive in that kind of conditions. I mean, the, the ball, the, even the ball probably has mud on it. And at, at that point, if it's that wet on the field, mud will literally stick to the ball. I've, I've played in that kind of, not to that extent, but I've played in that kind of weather before where it's just a mud bowl and it's just, yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy experience, but um, but yeah, I mean, nonetheless, it was it was a really good game, and uh, and con- you know, congrats to the Bears for winning that game. But I do think that the the 49ers aren't out for the count for the playoffs at least. I, I think that they'll probably still make the playoffs. I don't know, missing the playoffs is, is a pretty is a pretty big take to to take there by Matt. But I mean, I guess you know, to each his own. So yeah, honestly, the so like the second game that I want want to bring up and and I'll kind of pass it over to Matt here to, to talk about it first but second game I wanted to talk about was this Colts and Texans game because I think a lot of people a lot of people were surprised by this game I thought the Colts were going to win but I do think that a lot of people are sleeping on the Texans and we've kind of talked about it in our AFC win totals episode I, I talked about it a little bit and so did Matt about how Houston really is this team that nobody thinks is going to be good ever like nobody really thinks of them as, as being a team that can win games because they probably in, out of any team in the league, they probably have the least amount of talent that you can think of. Like Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little quiz here. Can you name one defensive? No. Can you name two defensive players on the Texans right now? I, I, I can't, that, that was a great one. You hit yeah. me right, right in the spot I can't where I had no idea. So, yeah. Good one. Yeah. So um, that's, that's kind of just what I'm trying to get at in terms of the talent that they have on their team. I can name maybe one of their receivers. Uh, I'm forgetting his, of course I'm forgetting his name. Why wouldn't I on the podcast? But yeah, they just have, they they're so lackluster with talent, but they somehow just pull. Oh, it was Brandon cooks, right? Brandon cooks. I can name, but, but they somehow just pull games together, right? It's, it's, it's crazy how they do it, but the Colts looked pretty good in that game and their defense wasn't the best, but like their offense looked decent. Jonathan Taylor kind of carried their offense, but other than that, the Texans kind of just stayed in the game. It it was, it was really their game to, to lose. I think after things got going, but, 
But yeah, I'm curious to see what Matt thinks about this game. I think it was it was very apparent that the Colts did not look like they were supposed to, but I kind of called this, okay? I kind of called this. Go back and listen to the AFC Win Totals podcast. Um, I, I don't think the Colts are going to be very good this year. And, and it's not anything to do with Jonathan Taylor because he's probably the best running back in the league. It's not anything to do with that offensive line. And even the defense, to some extent, is, isn't that great. But the point that I made is they keep trying to just get the veteran quarterback who's on his last leg as a one year on a one-year deal to, to throw some touchdowns, and it doesn't end up working out. They had Phillip Rivers and they had Carson Wentz, and now they have Matt Ryan. And it's and it's looking much of the same. We got to keep in mind for this game, the Texans were up 20 to 3. Okay, if the Colts scored 17 points in the fourth quarter to tie it. Now, they had a chance to win it in overtime with a 42-yard kick by Rodrigo Blankenship. That's the kid with the glasses that played for Georgia. Remember him? He actually cut him. Yeah, Yeah, they cut him because he missed that kick. So that's your cutthroat NFL uh, stat of the day, I guess. But still, you you know, you can see the Colts were eight-point favorites in Houston against the Texans team that is not good. And as he mentioned, we can't name very many players on their team as a whole, much less their defense at all, right? And so they should have won this game. They should have won this game easily. They were eight-point favorites. They were going in there. Okay, fine. You got the best running back in the league. Hand it off to him much times. You'll be fine, all right? But no, that, that's not how it was at all. And, and I think that it was one of those things that the Texans were up so big, so late in the game, and they kind of were just like playing to win, right? They weren't playing – or sorry, playing to – play well – I don't know. I don't forget. I'm forgetting what the saying, saying is, but essentially, oh, that's what it is. They were playing to not lose. They weren't playing to win, uh, which essentially just means that, you know, you get a little bit tighter on defense. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're worried about the deep ball. You're worried about the big play, you know, giving up the big plays because those are, you know, big scoring chances for the other team. And then on offense, you're trying to run the clock out, right? You're trying to, you're trying to, you know, get first downs, but take the shot, take the play clock down as far as you can before you start every play, just in hopes of kind of maintaining that lead and, and, and winning a game that you're not supposed to win. And it kind of bit him in the butt a little bit, especially in that fourth quarter where, you know, Matt Ryan just ended up looking pretty good because he threw so much. I mean, he had 352 yards or something like that. And so, of course, you know, know, the the Colts come back. And so it showed that, yes, they do have the firepower to take over the game, score a bunch of points when they absolutely need to, and, you know, and and compete to win. But again, we're we're talking about this in the context of them playing the Houston Texans, who are projected for four and a half wins this year. All right. Projected for the worst team to be the worst team in the AFC South. Not only the worst team in the AFC South, they and the Falcons actually projection for their win, you know, how many wins they're going to have over the course of the season. The Texans and the Falcons have the worst projections they have the, the lowest projections of the entire season. so you could argue the texans and the falcons are the worst two teams in the nfl and that's what the colts were going up against and and having to take a you know 17 nothing fourth quarter in order to just send it to overtime against this team this texans team i love this texans team i think they're not going to be the worst team in the nfl i think they're going to have way more than you know than, than five well not way more but i think they're going to have more than five wins as they're you know projected to get and i don't I, and i do think that they're not going to come in last place in the afc south either i think this is probably though more of an indictment on you know the division as a whole right where you have the titans who lost on the last second two-point conversion of the giants right? You had the Colts and the Texans who tied and you had the Jaguars who were losing the game against the commanders for the most part. Then they took the lead late and then they let the, the commanders score a touchdown late and, and won that game and they covered the spread. So the results of this game were these, I guess, kind of these, these, these teams that were playing this, uh, you know, this past Sunday is that 
the Texans are tied for the lead in the division, but they don't have any wins, right? And that's kind of the funniest part. It's like two teams are 0-0 and 1, and then the other two teams are 0-1. So I think that kind of sums up like how bad overall this division is and is going to be. We're going to see one of these teams go into the playoffs with probably a losing record, um, if not you know very close to that. And so I think that kind of this game is, is, is proof that the Colts are not going to be as good as we thought. The, the Jaguars clearly... I don't know why everybody was hyping them up as a nice, and as I said on the podcast too, I think they're going to have the, I think they're the worst team in the NFL by far. Uh, and they showed you there, nothing has changed because they gave up the lead late and lost the game against the commander. So there you go. And then the Titans again, you know, they have a good running game and their defense is solid, but like, you know, they, they were up 13, nothing against the giants at halftime. And then they lose 21 to 20. And it's like, how'd you score seven points in the whole second half? And our defense didn't play that well. And Saquon went off, right? Dan Jones looked like an actual quarterback out there. And that's surprising. Okay. So that's kind of what I'm saying is like this whole division is, is, is really looking, you know, you know, quite sad, I guess, you know, would be the best word to describe everything so far. Um, and, and I, and I just think that, you know, especially in regards to the Colts and the Texans, it was a tie, yes, which is we obviously, you know, like a, a stupid result. I don't, I just, I don't agree that there should be ties in the NFL, but, but whatever. But I think that that kind of signifies the fact that the Colts and the Texans, despite having such, you know, differing pr- uh, projections on how their season was going to go, I think they're going to be a lot closer in terms of overall talent, how many wins they're going to get, you know, their overall season outlook. I think they're, it's a lot closer than people are expecting, and so that's kind of my you know, overall takeaway on, on this game, but also the division, which I think is just, you know, probably the like rivaling the NFC East as, as the worst in the entire league. Yeah. I, I totally, I think that the AFC South is, I think by far the worst conference in the league. I mean, the worst division in the league, because right. You got the, you got the Titans. And I think if the Titans didn't win the AFC last year, or if they didn't, sorry, if they, if they didn't have the one seed in the AFC last year at the end of the season, I think that they would undoubtedly be like, there would be no conversation over whether the AFC South is the the worst division in football because right. I mean, we saw it. They have no teams that are guaranteed to be like actually good. Right. The, the Titans, I forget. Yeah. I, I even forget who they played against, but they lost. Right. Yeah. To the giants. Oh yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. So they lost to the, right. They lost to the giants. I mean, the giants, I think are going to be a lot better than the, this year than people project them to be I wasn't projecting them to be that good I was projecting them basically to be better than like the Jaguars the Jets the Texans I would say and then maybe a few other teams but I mean I I thought that they were going to finish in last in the NFC East again this year but that's probably I don't honestly I think that's probably not going to happen they might even finish like second or something like that behind the Eagles but yeah I think that Matt did a pretty good job of kind of of kind of over overviewing what that AFC South conference look like looks like. All right. So now let's go on to the second NFL topic that we have here. And it's, and it's part of the title of this episode. And it's kind of something that I was putting together in my head. And then also with, you know, reading some, some articles and listening to some other, some other podcasts and stuff. I kind of was, you know, kind of formulating this. And I think it's, it, we, 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 we got something here. All right. So we saw teams like the Rams, the Packers, the Bengals, and the Broncos all struggle, and they all lost their respective games as well, and teams that we would expect to have 
you know, really uh, started out hot or, or at least, you know, had great offenses last year that we thought would translate over this year. Didn't look that great. And all of them lost, as I said before, too, uh, you know, in their first games of the season. But they'll have one thing, in, one thing in common, and that's that none of their starters on offense played in the preseason. And this is just one of those things that, you know, with there being three preseason games now and there's an extra regular season game. You know, how has the league changed since it added that other regular season game while subtracting a preseason game? And also, Hayden, how much should we take from, you know, these surprising early results, these, you know, these these juggernauts of of NFL teams getting upset early on? But given that this is still basically the preseason that we're playing in right now. Yeah, I think that's a great way of 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 putting it. That that thing that that last thing that you said there is is that we're essentially playing still playing the preseason now, even though it's week one of the regular season, because I mean, this week proved to us that it is, I mean, this is the second year that we have 18 games in the NFL regular season. And I don't really remember what happened last year in, in week one, but it's a perfect example. This of this past week of, of this past week one um, for, for this year's NFL season that a lot of teams are not ready to play yet. And as much as, we can sit there and say, okay, you know, we can point out and say, okay, well, the Panthers did this wrong and that's why they lost in a really close game against the Browns. Right. We could say, we could point out so many things that can, that went wrong or whatever things go wrong in every, every football game, every NFL game, whatever. I mean, things go wrong in the Super Bowl a lot, just alluding to that 28 to three comeback that the Patriots had against the, Fal- against the Falcons. But right. There's, okay, wait, there's- wait, wait, crazy stat on that. Did you see the, 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 like, passing enshrinement they gave Matt Ryan today no so the, he he surpassed 60,000 yards passing in the NFL like over his whole career I guess in this last game or whatever and so they gave him like some sort of commemorative you know statue stand thing and they put the football in there I guess I guess the one that he was using or whatever and they did you know they did like a plaque with his name and everything and he's I think he's one of only like five quarterbacks in the history of the NFL to even throw for that much so it's definitely you know obviously a, a very great accomplishment the, the like number on the ball, and I don't know what that signifies or how many they're using over the course of the season or whatever it may be, but it's like in the like main picture of like Matt Ryan, his name, his passing stats and everything, the number of the ball says 283. And no. there was like this person who was like, you've got to be kidding me. That's the name of the ball or that's the number on this ball that's like now in like the Hall of Fame. And it's like, it isn't, it's like an enshrinement to Matt Ryan, but it's like this, <laughs> like this is like that completely defines his whole career too, that 28 3. Yeah. And it's like, now this thing will forever remember that like he has this great accomplishment of 60,000 yards, but he always has that one thing where he lost that Super Bowl after he should have won it that was definitely done on purpose there's there's no way like they they definitely just made an excuse <laughs> they were like oh yeah every 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 ball in the hall of fame has some kind of number and it's like oh you just happen to be the 283rd ball to be put in the hall yeah no that's that was definitely done on purpose but yeah it's pretty funny anyway back to what i was saying i mean yeah things go wrong in, in games all the time but a lot of times if something goes wrong for a good team like the 49ers or something like that when they're playing the bears even if it's a rainy game and even if there's six inches of rain on the field, even if something goes wrong, teams are still able to, able to recover from that. But I think something that not having a fourth preseason game and adding another regular season game does to that is essentially, yeah, it's like, okay, those teams that don't have their starters playing the preseason for whatever reason, mainly for them not to get hurt. But those those guys are, are hitting the field for the first time. And even though they're pros, even though 
they've played thousands and thousands of football games in their lifetime. Right They're you know, and, and they've had scrimmages at practice and like all training camp. We see teams visit other teams and they, they have scrimmages against each other and they're fighting each other during training camp, but then they get on the field in front of all these fans and, and right there, there's a lot of things that go wrong and they kind of can't recover from that. So I would say that that's probably the biggest thing about removing one of the preseason games and adding a regular season game is that right. The season doesn't really start, I guess, until week two at this point, because like I said, I don't know what happened in week one of last season. Maybe Matt does in, in, in some way, shape or form, but judging by what we saw this week, it's not a coincidence, right? It's that, that all those teams lost and that all those teams also didn't play their starters in any of the preseason games. So I would, I think that there's not really much else to say here other than, or I mean, obviously Matt's going to jump in here and, and talk a little bit, but I, I would say for me that there's not really much else to say other than, yeah, teams are going to make mistakes regardless, but it's just the fact that players not having played in the preseason, they're just not really able to recover from those mistakes in a game. And it's, you know, it's, it's just kind of a different, it's a whole different ball game when you step out onto the field in front of 60,000, 80,000 people. And as opposed to when you're playing in training camp in front of your teammates and your coaches, I think even, and Hayden said it was, you know, a week one thing. I think it might be even longer than that. It might be even the full month of September because you've got to think about it. The preseason games are obviously more so now treated as a mechanism to cut down the roster, right? You're, you're deciding what the final 53 man roster is going to be. And so you're going to play your backups and your third strings to be able to decide who's going to end up getting those final few spots. And therefore the starters don't play. And also you don't want to risk them, you know, being hurt. And it's like, Okay, I get that. To some extent, you don't want your starters to be hurt. I, I totally, I totally makes sense. But at the same time, too, you want them to play a little bit, so not only they can get in sync with the rest of the offense, which is what we saw, you know, was looked terrible, you know, this past Sunday. Uh, but also that you know, if you if you didn't play the entire preseason, I get that you have training camp. But as Hayden mentioned, training camp is a heck of a lot different than going in front of eighty thousand people, you know, and 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 hitting someone as hard as you possibly can in your first play of the game. There's a lot. Or at least a greater chance or not greater, but, you know, still a pretty good chance that you might get hurt just as, you know, or just as often as you would if you played in the preseason. Right. So there's all these factors at play. And I think that it's almost kind of one of those like unspoken rules or, or NFL teams are behind the scenes. They're kind of just thinking about this for themselves or, or even just planning out this or planning around it, I guess, kind of in general is that they're kind of treating the whole, you know, for at least the first couple of weeks is like, all right, we got to get in sync. We got to, you know, start getting our stuff together. Cause the end of the season is, is really kind of when things ramp up, especially when it comes to, you know, vying for playoff spots and all that. But I would say that it probably takes at least one week, probably more than two games to become, you know, become fully hundred percent, like down with your, with your, you know, the offensive lines working together and, and, and the receivers and the quarterback are all on the same page. It takes a long time. And that's why two people say, you know, Defenses always have the advantage, especially early on the season, week one and stuff, because the defense is reacting to what the offense does for the most part, right? And the, and the if the offense doesn't know what they're doing and the defense is like, all right, we're just going to run our stuff and, and, and we're going to do well, well, then, you know, they're going to succeed more often than not. And so we saw that in a lot of these games, you know, like the Bills, who, you know, their defense shut out the Rams in the second half. They didn't score a single point, right? They had 10 points at halftime, didn't score again. Um, you know, we saw the Packers, they put up seven points total. I'm a Packers fan and Packers look horrible. Now that could be also, I mean, both the tackles were out and Alan Lazard was out. Who's the best receiver. So you have two of your best offensive linemen and your best receiver out. You're, you're not going to put up very many points, but still, right. We saw Romeo or um, Christian Watson, who was a draft pick from North Dakota state drop a touchdown pass. Okay. Hmm. So there's been stuff like this where, you know, and the Broncos, obviously, I mean, Jesus, like 
they had three drives where they were inside the five yard line and across all three of those drives, they scored three points. What? They had two turnovers inside the five yard line and one field goal off of that. That should be 21 points. Should have won this game by, you know, 15. So another example where nothing looked in sync and good for the Seahawks for getting that win. Good for all these, you know, kind of underdogs uh, who, who, you know, ended up coming across and winning. It's, it's, it's going to be different though. You know, even just a month from now, you're going to see these teams who are supposed to be good, really turn on the jets and actually get their stuff, you know, hundred percent in fluid and, and, and working together. So I think that's kind of the, you know, the way it works now, but I think it is an interesting point to point out though, too, is that if, you know, if you're picking games or you're betting on games or you're even just watching, you know, for fantasy football purposes, or just, you know, you want to kind of watch the action and stuff, keep this in mind where, you know, teams that are supposed to look good, especially if it's, you know, an, an offensive thing, uh, you know, they might take a couple of weeks to get in sync with what they're trying to do. And therefore they might not look good right now, but I mean, we, you know, we you can be assured that by, you know, a month or two from now, they're going to be flying, you know, flying above the, above the radar. So, um, so that's, I think kind of just, it's just an interesting little, little thing that I wanted to point out. And I think it's, you know, I think the preseason is important. Obviously we don't want people to get hurt in the preseason. So we don't want to play, you know, our starters the whole game, but you, you got to get some sort of, some sort of rhythm going or else you might end up like, you know, these, these four teams that we just mentioned here. So uh, with that being said, I think, it's ready to move on to college football. Hayden, go ahead. All right. So our first topic here is about obviously the upsets that happened this past weekend because there, well, there was a lot of stuff that happened on, on college football Saturday this past weekend, but the upsets were probably the biggest news. Also, it wasn't an upset, but it could have been an upset. And that was Alabama winning over Texas by one, I think 20 to 19 or something like that. So that was obviously a, a, a pretty big story as well. But we kind of wanted to tailor more towards the, the smaller guys who won because we want to give those smaller guys some some publicity. We're, we're all about that here on the first time round out podcast. And so we saw three top 10 teams lose on Saturday. Two of them lost to unranked teams from the Sun Belt Conference, the fun belt, as as they call it, because fun things happen when Sunbelt teams play better teams, right? And, and just to point out, that was Appalachian State went to Texas A&M, number six in the country, and won outright. And then Marshall went to Notre Dame, number five, or number eight, number eight in the country, and won outright. So those are the two teams we're talking about, the two games in, 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 in reference here. Right. So I'm going to ask this question to Matt. What statement has the Sunbelt made in just the first two weeks of this young college football season. And when should we start to think about the Sun Belt possibly being considered a power conference? Because we have the power five conferences, we have the group five group of five conferences, but, and the Sun Belt is part of the group of five conferences, but we kind of constantly see these, these Sun Belt teams upsetting really, really good teams. I think there was, it was, uh, it was Appalachian state that in 2007 upset like number two, Michigan or something like that. In Michigan, I'm pretty sure it was. And so Appalachian State is actually pretty used to to having these these huge upsets. But right, they did it again this year, week one or week two, or week yeah, week two of the of the college football season. So should we start considering Sun the Sun Belt as a power five conference? If not, is there kind of a time and place? Should we move teams from the Sun Belt to a two power five conferences, or should we kind of just let them cook and, and let them upset the 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 big name teams? Yeah, I, I think maybe not right now, but certainly in the near future, I think there should be a lot more respect that's given to the Sun Belt. It sounds like 
a weird name for a conference. And all, also, most of the teams in the Sun Belt sound a little weird, or they're really, really, really small schools who just have out of nowhere put these football programs together. I mean, seriously, like four or five years ago, the Sun Belt was the ultimate worst conference in the entire country. It was like there were no good teams, and the teams that were good were really bad in, you know, comparatively to, to, the rest of the country and everything and they were just everybody beat up on them and it was it was just this no you know it, it just it wasn't good and but it was kind of just a known thing it was like all right the sun belt kind of some sucks you know it was fine get your win against somebody you'll be good to go it has completely flipped the script though we have teams like appalachian state obviously which we already mentioned and marshall now marshall's a kind of a an asterisk a little bit because marshall used to be in the conference usa for the last i don't know six or seven years or so maybe even longer than that, they um, transferred to the Sunbelt Conference this year. So this is kind of their first year in the Sunbelt, but they transferred to the Sunbelt Conference because they had been at the, at the top of the Conference USA for the past 10 years, really. Um, they had some great runs, some like 10 and 2 seasons, some 11 and 1 seasons back uh, back in the day. Uh, Rakeem Cato, remember the name, Hayden? No, you don't. That's right, but I do. Yeah, no. um, so anyway, so they've been they've been pretty good, and they moved to Sunbelt because they, they saw, hey, Sunbelt's doing really well. We want to get, you know, get our competition level up and, and, and really start playing these teams that seem like they're going to be, you know, actually making a name for themselves, as they have. Another good team in the Sunbelt is Coastal Carolina. They made headlines three years ago during the COVID season for basically being the worst team in, in, in all of division one football, they were two and 10. I think I forget exactly what year, maybe 2018, 2019, the very next year they go undefeated. I think they, they went 11 and one or something. Cause it was like, they changed up their offense. They're running some crazy, you know, semi triple option thing. Grayson McCall came as a, came in as a freshman and broke like all these records for completion percentage and all, and all this stuff. And it's like this random team from Conway, South Carolina, which is actually right by the beach, by the way, too, which is, you know, that's a nice place to go. Um, apply to Coastal Carolina if you're looking to go to college anytime soon. But mm-hmm. they come out of nowhere. They're really good. All right. And so we got a lot of these teams. Louisiana Lafayette. Now, they've been probably the, the the I guess, the top of the conference for a really long time now, uh, simply because, you know, they're in Louisiana, which is a, a, an insanely hot recruiting space for collegiate athletes. So essentially, you think about LSU and how good that LSU has been, how many NFL prospects that, that LSU puts in the league. Basically, everyone who doesn't go to LSU and is from L- you know Louisiana and, and wants to stay in state or, or close to home, they'll go to Louisiana Lafayette. And so you had that on top of the fact that Billy Napier, who's now Florida's head coach, you saw Florida uh, in recent news for beating a top 10 team in Utah in week one. Billy Napier was the head coach of Louisiana Lafayette for the last five years or so. And I mean, like every season, nine and three, 10 and two, 11 and one, they were winning the Sun Belt over and over and over again. They're a power team in the Sun Belt as well. And so we have a lot of these teams that are, you're here about a lot now and kind of as of recently because they're beating all these top teams and, and everything like that but really they've been here and done that for quite a couple of years now and, and so that's kind of where i'm thinking we got to have more respect for the sunbelt teams and it's especially reflected in the rankings now we're going to get to the rankings a little bit more uh you know more in depth here in a second but um but like none of them are ranked now despite having all these great wins and and we even saw Appalachian State too in week 1 they played UNC all right and UNC came came to North or Appalachian State so Appalachian State was at home 
It was it was the craziest game ever. Appalachian State was up by two touchdowns in the first quarter. UNC comes all the way back, and they're up by I think three scores to start the third quarter. Appalachian State scored. Get that you're gonna have to turn everything else off around in your life because we, what I'm about to say is absolutely insane. You can check the box score on this one. Appalachian State scored 40-0 points in the fourth quarter alone against that UNC team in that game, and they lost. What are we talking about? They lost 63 to 61 and they missed two two point conversions to win it. So what are we doing here? They actually even kicked an onside kick and the UNC guy ran it back for a touchdown. It was an absolutely insane game. If you're going to watch any game from the season, go watch that one because it was crazy. And so we saw them, though. They kept up with this UNC team who is scoring out the bejesus right now. And they go to College Station in Texas A&M, who we've raved about Texas A&M for the last however many months here on a podcast because they had the best recruiting class and they're a top five team and they got a great defense and Jimbo Fisher, who's their coach. And, and, you know, they're, they're, they're all ready to go. Right. Well, no, uh, they're not because they lost at home uh, to, to Appalachian state. So that's my whole point here. There's a lot of good teams in the Sun Belt, and it, and it definitely, I think has solidified itself as kind of that one a to the AAC, which is kind of the, the, you know, overall thought of as the top group of five conference so far, because you have Cincinnati, right. Who went, Undefeated last year, they made it to the college football playoff. Um, you know, you also have like teams like Houston, who went, I think, 11 and two last year. They were really good. Right. So the AAC has has been the class of the group of five conferences up until now. But we got to think about this, too. Cincinnati and Houston, who are the best two teams in the AAC, are actually leaving for the Big 12 next year. So they're going to kind of have some shake up there, too. And we're going to see the Sun Belt really assert itself as the top group of five conference. And so that's kind of good in and of itself. that They're at least getting some recognition there. But I think that, I mean, really, these teams are so good and they're competing with the better teams in college football. Now, again, we just do this whole NFL segment on there's no preseason or, or at least the starters don't play the preseason in college football. There's no preseason at all. So it's one of those things that too, these games are happening early on, T- you know, teams like Texas A&M and Notre Dame, they, you know, they have really good overall to their talent. Their teams are way more talented than Marshall and, and, and Texas A&M or Appalachian state respectively. So they may take it just uh, may take, you know, a few weeks for them to kind of get everything situated and, and and they just kind of got caught in a bad spot. But at the same time, you should not be losing at home as a top 10 team to a team, you know, in the Sunbelt conference, which is, again, they don't have any money They're they're just out there to play football. The athletes they recruit are not anywhere close to the level of talent that these bigger schools are getting and they're getting whooped. So I love to see this because I love to see underdogs win. And I think that it's, it's, it's great for the sport that, you know, these, these big upsets are happening. And I think it, it is kind of hopefully, hopefully hopefully you know merging into some sort of benefit for at least some parity within college football because we always see the best teams win and you know that's just kind of how it's been for however long now maybe hopefully some of these smaller teams can really start putting their teams together getting some you know some undefeated seasons and 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 showing what it's worth obviously too we're going to have you know a 12 team playoff coming up here just maybe in a couple years and so that'll also kind of hopefully bring in some parity and and some have some other give some other teams a chance to win the championship even though it's probably going to be either Alabama or Georgia at the end of this year again but hey that's not the point the point is that we're talking about the Sun Belt because they're a really good conference and you should watch out for their teams you know what team from the Sun Belt you didn't mention Matt what would that be Hayden Georgia Southern that's right I was hoping that you would catch that yes Georgia Southern if you guys don't know they beat Nebraska this past weekend and you might be saying okay well Nebraska kind of another one in Lincoln Nebraska yes another Big Ten team losing at home to a Sun Belt team 
which did you know that Nebraska at home, they've sold out every single game since 1962. That's insane. And, and like, just, Nebraska, just for, this, I mean, for this level of loss and, yeah, and, and, exactly, just, and sadness consistently is, is pretty yeah. impressive how sad their fans can be for, for 70 years now. Yes. And they're still in the big 10 and they just absolutely suck every year. But that's not the point here. The point, well, I guess sort of is the point, but the point here is that Georgia Southern went in there, went went to Nebraska, right? Memorial Stadium, and they they went 45 to 42 over the the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And you know what the Nebraska Cornhuskers do right after that game? I think it was well, it was Monday, right? Or maybe even I think it was Sunday actually. I think it was Sunday, yeah. Yeah, Sunday, they fired their head coach Scott Frost, which Matt was talking about in our college football preview. He talked about Nebraska when we were talking about the Big Ten and teams to kind of watch out for in the Big Ten. Matt actually mentioned that Scott Frost is is on the hot seat and not only the hot seat, but he's kind of on a boiling, burning hot seat. Um, and and that was kind of not kind of, that, that was exploited by Georgia Southern this past weekend, and he got fired the day after that they the day after they lost. So. That's just kind of a little uh, little piece of information that if you didn't know that, that's that's pretty huge. I mean, now because right, Nebraska they were bad even when Scott Frost was there, and they're probably going to remain bad for the rest of the season. Um, and honestly, like I I wouldn't be opposed to seeing them switch like switched out for a team, maybe not like Appalachian State, but like switched out for a team in a in a, in a group of five conference that right has big wins consistently has crazy games against teams like UNC, who is a pretty decent ACC team, right? These teams that are in the group of five conferences that have really good seasons, maybe move them up to the big 10 for a year and see how they do. Right they're, I mean, they're probably not going to do as well, but they might compete. You never know. It, 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 we could do kind of like a little uh, European soccer type deal where the English premier league has that weird, like the best team from the, from the league below it goes up and then the worst team from the league above it goes down or relegation whatever. Is what you're yeah. Relegation or whatever. So we could have a, a, a type of uh, relegation in college football. I think that would be pretty, pretty interesting. But again, you kind of, you can't really do that without deciding which conference gets, which group of five team or which power five conference gets, which group of five team. And then which group of five conference gets the worst power five team. But It'd be interesting. I think, I mean, if, if we did that going forward, that would be pretty, that would obviously add some, I mean, it, it would take a lot because conferences have a lot to do with college athletics in general. And just in terms of being like a label and a name put on a school, but it would, it would definitely kind of shake things up and, and make things interesting in terms of conference re- realignment, which we are seeing right now. Um, but again, those conference re- realignments are taking a lot longer than, just one season to happen, but, but yeah. One other quick note on this Scott Frost thing, actually, well, technically too, but the ironic part about this is, and this is, this is very deep nerdy college football stuff. So, so, so pin your ears back. Cause I'm about to bless you with some knowledge. The coach of Georgia Southern right now, his name is Clay Helton. You may have heard of him. If you're kind of a really big college football fan, he used to be the coach of USC. 
That was before Lincoln Riley. So last year, Clay Helton was the coach at USC. Week two of last year, Clay Helton and USC lost by like 28 points or something to Stanford, who used to have a good program, but is really bad now. And a loss to Stanford by USC at that point was just unacceptable. So and in week two of last year, USC played Stanford. Clay Helton was the head coach at USC, and he lost his job the day after he lost to Stanford. Exactly one year later, in week two of this year's college football season, you may also remember Stanford and USC played this week as well, this past Saturday. Clay Helton, after losing his job on this on basically the same day one year ago, is the very same person who goes into takes his Georgia Southern team into Nebraska and ends Scott Frost's coaching career at Nebraska. So a lot of irony there, really, really cool stuff, and just kind of shows how cool college football is. In general, the second note about the Scott Frost thing, which is probably the bigger one and the more crazy one, and me and Hayden talked about this ad nauseum in our NCAA Doomsday series about the college football coaches' buyouts, okay? Scott Frost's buyout which essentially means that because he signed a contract with the university, the university has to pay him the remaining balance or the guaranteed money on that contract, unless it's fulfilled and he coaches the full tenure there, got it, you know, whatever. If they fire him early, they have to pay him the remainder of that contract, which in this case ended up being $15 million. Now here's the catcher, 15 million. That's a lot of money, right? If he lasted until October 1st, there was some clause in their contract or whatever the lawyers decided to write up. There was a clause that said if he if if they if Nebraska ended up firing Scott Frost on or after October 1st, his buyout would be cut in half, essentially from 15 million to seven and a half million. This shows you the level of money that the, that these college football programs have and just carelessness and, and the fan bases are, that are just down these athletic directors throats. Basically, what the athletic director did, and, and again, this money is coming from boosters and, and, and ticket sales and, and all the money that's behind the, you know, the teams and just, you know, alumni who are just paying ridiculous amounts of the money to the football team to be able to pay for this stuff. Basically said, we're going to, it is worth seven and a half million dollars not to keep this guy as our coach for an extra two weeks. What are we doing with our lives, people? This is the amount of money that we're dealing with in college football, which is crazy. And some people were even saying, dude, did Scott Frost just purposely lose this game to Georgia Southern because he knew he would get fired and he'd get an extra seven and a half million dollars? Because I would do that. No, I don't think so. Scott Frost is a very, he's a very disciplined man and he is about his, his values, which also includes losing football games. But I don't think he was trying to lose. I think it just really was not a great fit for this whole situation. It is just crazy though, that they're willing to pay seven and a half million dollars just for two weeks of extra, or not even extra, but two weeks of not having Scott Frost be the head coach, football coach uh, for Nebraska. So, but Nebraska is one of those big NIL teams, right? You think about like the Ohio States of the world and, and, and the Michigans of the world, where there's so much money behind this program, because it's really one of those, the only schools in the Midwest that's really, you know, had a storied history in college football. So now we see that come to fruition. And it's like, they have a lot of money behind this program. So it's one of those things that if they can get the right coach in there and they can get their NIL program together and stuff, Nebraska could easily be or become, you know, one of the best programs in the country again. You just kind of need the right people there. And clearly we see that they're going to spend as much money as they possibly can in order to get the right person there, which also includes firing the person two weeks before their buyout is is down half, you know, half of what it was. And, and they're just basically paying an extra seven and a half million dollars to a guy uh, to, for him to leave his job two weeks early. Pretty crazy stuff. That is very crazy. And right. If you want to learn a little bit more about all the money that's fed into coaching and now, I guess, NIL, you can go listen to our NCAA Doomsday series. I don't can't remember if Matt 
mentioned it, but yeah, you can go listen to that and go listen to the money, money, money episode, because that is uh that is a crazy episode. let me tell you. And there's, I think the episode, I think episode three, that's episode two. I think episode three of that doomsday series is where we talk about the coaching buyout. So that's, a, that's actually a whole di- separate episode that we have logged just to talk about coaching buyouts. So go listen to those if you are more, or if you find yourself interested in that, but moving on to the last topic of the day, our second college football topic is about the AP poll. And like Matt alluded to earlier, we are going to be talking about the top 25 rankings that are a little bogus. And we've talked about this before on this podcast, but we need to recover it or revisit, revisit it. That's what I mean. Revisit it right now, because it is, it is a, uh, is quite the joke, right? Let's look at the teams that have lost and are still ranked. So Texas A&M is still at number 24 and Texas is number 21. Now they were unranked and they lost against Alabama. Granted, it was a close one, but they're still number 21 now. So they went from being unranked to being ranked and they lost the game. They're number 21. They're in front of Texas A&M who's at number 24 Texas A&M went from six to 24, which is a pretty big jump. I mean, that's usually if, if, if it's that big of a jump, it's a team goes from being ranked 12 to not being ranked. But again, that's, that's even rare too, but right. Texas A&M is still ranked at 24 and Matt said it himself in, in our college football preview episode, Texas A&M, they're never even really that good. Like they don't, they play in the sec. Yes. And they're competitive, but they're not, competitive enough to be number six to to start the season. They have great recruiting classes almost every single year, but they, they fail to show it on the field and they fail to develop those guys into a team that like Alabama, who is a lot of times either a team of like all seniors or a team of all freshmen, but they're always good, right? They they always kind of find which way they want to go with their team. Texas A&M, Texas A&M doesn't really do that. I feel like Texas A&M, like they start half of their freshmen that are really good and then they redshirt the other half of their freshmen that are also good. And then they have a bunch of freshmen playing with a bunch of seniors and juniors, and it, it just never really works out. And so, right, they're they're kind of left with this, like, uncoordinated team that drops a couple games against teams that they shouldn't drop a couple games against during the regular season. And that happened this past weekend against Appalachian State. And I think, I th- yeah, I think the easy, the even crazier part about the AP poll rankings this, uh, this week coming out th- – this week is is right. Texas being put into the AP poll after losing when we have a bunch of other teams that Matt's going to talk about all these unranked teams that won against huge, you know, ranked opponents, top 10 ranked opponents, and they're still left out of the AP, the AP top 25 rankings. So I just kind of wanted to point out the teams that are still in the rankings, such as Texas and Texas A&M or the teams that got moved into the rankings, even after they lost when compared to the teams that, have won a team like Appalachian State is, is the perfect example, which Matt will talk about. I mean, I think they're they're the greatest example of of somebody that should be in the top 25 at this point. Even if it's even if it's like number 23, who cares? I mean, they they should be in that AP top 25 and given the the the, the deserve that they respect and shown in that rankings list because right, they've they they've done so well up until this point. They've beat a top 10 ranked team rather than lost against like some group of five team that, that that doesn't really matter. And and those teams are still in the top 25. So Matt, go ahead and talk about the teams that are outside the top 25. 
Yeah, let's just start out with Appalachian State, who you just mentioned. Their two games are a 63-61 to 61 loss against UNC, which I went over before, and they had many chances to win that game, and they didn't. That's fine. But again, UNC is a very good ACC Power 5 football team. And their second game is a win at Texas A&M, who was number six in the country. By my accounts, losing by two in a 130 points total game uh, is, is basically on par with, you know, a win in my book. And then, and then obviously a big win on the road against the top, you know, top 10 team, number six in the country, Texas A&M. Appalachian State should be ranked. Marshall, we mentioned them. They're 2-0, and okay? They crushed an FCS team in their first week. The second week, they go to Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana, and they win that football game. They're not ranked. Notre Dame is actually not ranked. Thankfully, I'm surprised because they're 0-2 now, but, oh, we might still have to rank Notre Dame because we never know. No, they're, they're bad. They're bad. It sucks, but they're bad, all right? Marshall's not ranked which is a travesty. And third, which is probably the biggest one, is North Carolina, who is 3-0 now. They beat Florida A&M in their first game. They beat, the Appala- they beat Appalachian State, which is the game that aforementioned, 63-61. Although I just said it was a win for Appalachian State, it's also a win for UNC because they stayed in that game and they won that game and they put up 63 points in doing so. All right. And then they beat Georgia State this past, this past week, 35-28 or something like that. So they're 3-0. They have good wins over good teams who have beaten other good teams. And they're, they're like number 30 or something. And, and so it's just like, what are we doing? Can we just rank these teams that should be ranked? No, we have to give Texas credit for losing a game. No, we don't. We shouldn't. Texas A&M, they're going to lose a lot more games and they're not going to be in the top 25 by the end of the season. So I guess they're at 24 now. So get them out while you can. Um, but I just hope that next week we can actually, well, it's, it's really never going to happen. It's just biased because at the beginning of the season, you put these teams so far up and then they look terrible and you're like, Oh, well, no, they might still be good. No, they're only, they were only that high to begin with because of theoretical thoughts that the AP poll rating people voters uh, had thought at the beginning of the season anyway. So this is all based on theory, theories, random thoughts that these people are having about how good a team is going to be that doesn't actually have any indication of how good a team is and so now we see how the teams are and it's still not being reflected in the rankings so my overall point is that the ap poll sucks yeah i i think what the ap poll does is basically just ask themselves okay if texas a&m were to play appalachian state nine more times to make it a 10 game series would texas a&m win those nine games probably but you can't base it off of that. Like Matt's saying, the AP poll rankings yeah. is a week-to-week basis thing yeah. because you play like, your game one time and you have a chance to win your game. And if you don't win your game, you don't win your game. So there you go. Win the game that you right. have in front of you. And if you don't, then that sucks. But you shouldn't deserve to to still be thought of so highly. Yeah. And and I guess you can kind of you can kind of play play this both ways and say, okay, well, stop making a huge big a, a huge deal out of the AP poll, not, you know, not putting these smaller teams in the rankings because like in the grand scheme of things down the road, Texas A&M is probably going to have a better record or they're going to have a better resume, I guess, across the whole season than a team, a team like Appalachian state or a team like Marshall and Notre Dame, even though they lost to Marshall at home is probably going to have a better overall season than Marshall will throughout the rest of the season. But again, the AP poll is something that changes on a week to week basis. And that's, like I said, that's, that's for a reason. So essentially what we're trying to say here is if you're going to change the, the the rankings week to week, give those teams that have success week to week, the recognition that they deserve, even if they might not stay in the rankings down the road and those better teams, such as Notre Dame and, and Texas A&M, who should be outside of the top 25, 
even if they come back in, right, everything will kind of be balanced out of the end. That's kind of what we're trying to say is it's a week-to-week basis thing for a reason. So give those smaller teams the recognition that they deserve for at least a week. But yeah, that's uh, that, that's going to wrap up our episode today. We kind of just wanted to get in a little bit of a little bit of a week one recap and slash week three recap for uh, for college football or week two recap, whatever it was for college football, because even though it is Thursday and it's not right after the weekend, we wanted to we wanted to get this in. But usually this kind of episode will probably be on our on Mondays. Just wanted to kind of throw that out there. We will have a little recap episode on Mondays from from here on out. The only thing I'll be missing is the Monday night football game, but we'll probably be giving little live updates here and there during that, the recording of that episode anyway, since it'll probably fall during that Monday night football game typically. So, so yeah, our, our recaps for college football and, and NFL Sundays will be usually on Mondays and then Thursdays we'll kind of do whatever, but, uh, but yeah, thank you guys for listening today. Thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you guys. We will be back on Monday with our, with our week two NFL recap and week three college football recap and we're super stoked for it see you guys monday thank you guys for listening